but moral injury is a pack factor because you know i think you guys probably deal with more collateral damage it's interesting um my first deployment you know where i dropped a ton of bombs you know hundreds i was killing hundreds of people mm -hmm. on the ground didn't lose a wink of sleep you know in my mind they were they were the bad guy um so i had no problem with that the problem i had was the stress of knowing that if i didn't do my job mm -hmm. that our guys on the ground were gonna get what they needed you are now tuned into stay dangerous hey what's everyone so great show lined up today but uh before we get started i want to thank our sponsor midas gold group uh midas gold group the veteran owned precious metals company and it's owned by uh a veteran not only uh our friend but a fellow marine uh james clark and he's uh he's my go-to resource for precious metals if you're worried about the economy worried about uh the financial stability of america or anywhere around the world look uh you have to have tangible uh precious metals in case everything goes sideways. It's just important to have. A, I have ammo, I have food, I have access to water, I have access to a lot of things, but one of the things I have is access to hard cash, gold, silver, and uh, I do it through uh, Midas Gold Group. If you wait till after the episode, go to MidasGoldGroup.com and mention my name. You'll actually get some free silver uh, for mentioning my name and uh, getting on board with them. Uh, can't think of a better place to go for your precious metals. Uh, today's show is going to be super fun for me because uh, I've gotten to know Jack Stuart, over this past year, we're going to have a big announcement at the end of the show and uh, and and share some things that we've been doing together. But uh, before we talk about that, I want to introduce Jack, uh, amazing military career, amazing human being, one of the most brilliant guys that that I've had the privilege of meeting uh, when it comes to authoring. Uh, we're going to talk about more at the end, but he just authored this book, Unknown Writer, uh, by Jack Stewart. Uh, and you know, this is an airplane on the front, uh, aircraft jet. Uh, F-18? Is F-18 F-35. There? F-35. Oh, it is F-35. Yeah. Okay. F-35, which replaced the F-16, right? It replaced a lot of stuff, actually. Okay. Yeah. Well, he was primarily F-18 pilot. Mm -hmm. He was a Top Gun adversary instructor and uh, and and um, did some ground time with special operations. But uh, and before we get started, I got to say, say this because most boys grow up wanting to be a Top Gun pilot. But most Top Gun pilots want to be special operators. Yeah. So uh, I just wanted to know from you, like, why is being a Force Recon Marine so much cooler than being a Top Gun pilot? <laughs> Man, you know, I, I stay awake at night thinking about that. You know, it's funny because uh, we've actually had this discussion. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I grew up running and swimming. And so it was natural progression for me to think, hey, I'm going to be a SEAL one day. Mm. And uh, and then I was like, man, that Force Recon thing sounds pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So I actually did some Marine um, training stuff at the Naval Academy and, and thought I might go down that path, but realized I wasn't tough enough. I, <laughs> I, it's a lot of joking, but I mean, man, I think, I think like both our career fields have that cross career envy. Oh yeah, like, for sure. <laughs> like for I, sure. I love nothing more than, you know, getting a, Fighter jet. Oh yeah, I mean we've taken you know seals, green berets, force recon, you name it. We've taken all the spec ops guys flying, and yeah. everyone's like, "This is the coolest job." And we're all like, "We want to go to the range and shoot guns with you." Man. <laughs> or take like, you guys tandem, do. right? We've taken, oh, yeah, we've taken, sure. uh, we've taken pilots tandem, yeah, tandem jumping and free fall. Yeah, so it's so you uh, walk us through your career path. I mean, you know, being a Top Gun pilot, right? Everybody thinks of Tom Cruise, yeah. Maverick, uh, yeah. you know, Goose, like those those characters in those movies. But what's What's the path to get there? I mean, obviously you got to be smart. You got to be. Well, uh, that's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's funny you mentioned Top Gun because it really did start there for me. Um, I knew I wanted to serve early on. Like, I mean, I think I was eight years old uh, when I read an article about the Naval Academy and I told my parents, hey, that's where I'm going to go to school. 
and they're like, yeah, whatever, you know, and, uh, you need a, you need a congressman to nominate you or something. We don't know anybody, so that's not going to happen. But, um, I think the one thing our two career paths have in common is that you, you set your mind to something and you, you're going to do it. And that's, that's pretty much what I did. Then they said, yeah, you're not going to do that. I said, watch me. So, um, so I went, uh, you know, went down that path to, to go be, you know, go to the Naval Academy and, and serve my country. And, um, it was, for me, it was just a natural progression to go into aviation. Um, my father, uh, was a pilot just for fun. He didn't do it for a career. He just did it uh, on the weekends. He'd take me flying with him. So, you know, I remember sitting in the cockpit, can't even see over the dash, you know, mm-hmm. and he's doing stalls and stuff that's scaring daylights out of me. And, and I was like, man, that's pretty cool. I want to do this, you know? Yeah. And, um, my mom's dad, my grandpa, he was a B-17 pilot in World War II. And, um, he died when I was a baby, but, uh, I felt connected to him and sure. his, uh, his crew through all the logs that my grandma would give me. And I've got pictures and I have his, uh, my, his jacket, his bomber jacket framed in my office at home. Hey folks, I got a shout out for our new awesome sponsor, Midas Gold Group. These guys are the real deal, a family business in precious metals for two generations run by Marine Corps veterans who are all about supporting veteran causes and putting America first. But the best part, they know that true financial freedom comes from owning private currency like gold and silver. If you're feeling a bit worried about the unknown and want to secure finances, look no further than Midas Gold Group. With all the crazy stuff happening these days, it's smart to be prepared. If you don't know, our financial data is stored electronically, from bank deposits to retirement accounts, and let's face it, our digital grid isn't exactly invincible. That's where owning gold and silver can save the day, and it's becoming a seriously compelling option. Now here's the scoop. Inflation is nibbling away at your dollar's buying power, and major players like Russia, China, India, and Saudi Arabia are making moves to trade oil in different currencies. This could shake things up big time, as the dollar's stability depends on being the world's trade currency. The central bank digital currency is virtually already here, with patents filed and big banks making plans. And Midas Gold Group sees potentially sketchy implications here, Will it mean the end of cold, hard-earned cash? Is it tied to social credit scores? Storing all our financial info in digital ledgers sounds pretty risky, doesn't it? That's why you can count on Midas Gold Group. They're here to lend a helping hand. They've got competitive pricing, top-notch service, and lightning-fast deliveries all across the United States and Canada. And get this, they could even show you how to use your IRA and old retirement plan to own physical gold and silver without getting hit by any additional tax implications. So listen up, folks. When it comes to precious metals, Midas Gold Group is the real deal and the only one I trust. Give them a ring at 855-322-GOLD. That's 855-322-4653 or hit up their website at midasgoldgroup.com. That's midasgoldgroup.com. They're all about giving friendly, no-pressure advice on precious metals. And guess what? If you drop my name, Chad Show. they're throwing in some free silver with any qualifying account. You can't beat that, right? So don't wait around. Secure your financial future with Midas Gold Group. Swing by MidasGoldGroup.com or dial 855-322-4653 and make sure you mention Chad Show sent you. Trust me, you'll be glad you did. So we, we just had technical difficulty because uh, we didn't have a phones and airplane, but it picked up. But in respect to Jack, who's our commercial pilot now, 
I never put my phone in airplane mode. Like yeah. take a, I'm like, sne- yeah. I'm the one sneaking the text in while yeah. we take off landing. I can't. Is it, does it really? Is it really? Yeah. What's up the to? thing behind that? Is it real or is it just the flight attendants being hall monitors? No, it's well, it's not the flight attendants. It's the FAA that says you have to do it. But uh, you know, I, I I can either confirm nor deny that I have been uh, in a cockpit where somebody's airplane or air phone, you know, phone started ringing when we landed, and I was like, oh, it wasn't on airplane mode. Uh, um, the plane didn't crash. Plane didn't crash. Amazingly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think there's that one, you know, like tenth of a percent, you know, that something could happen. It could affect some instrumentation, but but no. Yeah, yeah. yeah I always wonder. So, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the one to crash this. But plane. I'm gonna I'm watch like, you if you come on my plane. plane. I gotta get this last text through. <laughs> Go so, check wait, it wait, out. So yeah. So sorry to interrupt, but that uh, you were talking about your grandfather and yeah. the bomber jacket, which is super cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just had that connection to the greatest generation, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I grew up, I grew up in the Seattle area. Um, my, my parents both grew up in Southern California in the sixties. Patriots um, come out of Seattle. The what? <laughs> the Patriots come out of Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you hail from the town of Chaz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So <laughs> I'm just going to gloss all right. You threw that. them off. I'm just going <laughs> to throw them off. That's okay. That's all right. Yeah. We I know was you, just confused. We know we can, you know, you know, you can think on your feet as a fighter pilot. So. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. I, I, I love Seattle. I love Seattle. I, yeah. love, I, I love the city and, and I, know, I know not everybody's uh Well, so that, you know, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because, um, you know, growing up, Seattle had this real pioneer feel to it. Like, you know, right? we were self-sufficient and we got here on our yeah. own because there were only, only one or two generations removed from the Oregon trail. You know, and it's changed. I know, um, like so many great cities across the country that have this, like, just sense of wild. I mean, I think a cent- like Central Coast California, Northern yeah. California. Mm. These aren't liberal people; these no. are like conservative, patriotic people. And so, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm picking yeah. at Seattle, but yeah, but uh, I mean, the people that come out of there, like, and and these cities, cities have been ruined. Yeah, and the, the kind of interpretation or impression of them has been ruined it's true and there are a lot of really good people in all those cities and and i sort of feel like they're kind of held hostage to sometimes some of the politicians that have you know make decisions you know on their behalf um but um but yeah but even then even growing up i mean it was somewhat of a, a liberal environmentalist kind of mentality um which was which was totally fine, but it was also very patriotic. I mean, we did have Seafair, and the Blue Angels came every single year, and everyone stopped whatever they were doing to watch these F-18s fly, you know. And and there was that feel to the city, and yeah. um, uh, so coming from there, um, you know, my and knowing my background and my parents in you know Southern California in the '60s, and and watching their friends come home from Vietnam and be treated a certain way. Uh, I was a little surprised that, you know, when I went into the military, my parents were very, very supportive. Um, they were not anti-military, they were anti-war, right? So they supported the men and women who served, right. um, and and they didn't want my generation to go through what their generation went through. And and so, you know, growing up, you know, I was watching all the Vietnam TV shows, you know, um, Tour of Duty and, and all the movies like Platoon and, you know, Full yeah. Metal Jacket and, you know, that's... So those veterans were the ones that I looked up to. Good, wholesome military. Good, wholesome military (laughs) shows. Yeah. Uh, But that, you know, but I, I looked, I looked to that generation as well. And, and so I wanted to kind of carry on, you know, and, and, um, uh, went across, across the country to the Naval Academy and and the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. So graduate the Naval Academy. How do you, so I think a lot of people that aren't around, around, even people in the military, I don't understand, like, you get a flight contract. You know, if you go on, like, 
Yeah. You, you it, sign up knowing you're going to fly, right? No, it doesn't work that way. Um, no. Yeah. When you go to the Naval Academy, uh, you know that if you're physically qualified, you're going to be a line officer in either the Navy or Marine Corps, okay. um, which means you're going to drive ships, submarines, fly airplanes, uh, be mm -hmm. a grunt, or uh, you know, you're going to fly in the Marine Corps. Um, special operations, obviously, is another community. Um, but you can't go to be a JAG. You can't go to be a supply officer. You can't go to you know do some of those other jobs unless you know you become not physically qualified or you're in that top one percent that they want to send to medical school or something like that. So, um, so I went not knowing what I was going to do, but I I knew what I wanted to do. At least okay. I thought I did. Um, you know, I wanted to go. I wanted to go be a SEAL, right? I wanted to mm. jump out of airplanes and yeah. do all the cool stuff that you did. Um, and then you know over being exposed to things over the four years, I kind of okay. realized, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to my original passion, which was aviation. Um, like I said, I spent a summer with uh, uh, a month at uh, Quantico doing what we call Leatherneck. You basically go through essentially a little miniature TBS and, um, you know, the basic school for the Marine this officers. Is this officer and a gentleman. Yeah. Right. That The movie officer and gentleman. Yeah. Is, is that? Well, that's the officer and gentleman was uh, AOCS. So okay. it was an aviation officer candidate school, which they don't have anymore. Mm -hmm. um, which was geared towards pilots, you know, who'd already graduated from college and they wanted to become a pilot. They had to put them through this miniature, you know, boot camp, if you will, with a Marine drill instructor. Um, what I did with Leatherneck was for the midshipmen that wanted to be Marine officers. And uh -huh. I, I had a Marine infantry um, company commander and he was a really motivating guy. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I went to the Semper Fi ball every single year, you know, the Marine Corps ball. I, I, I was part of the Semper Fi society. Um, like, I just really love the tradition of the Marine yeah. Corps. And so I gravitated towards that and uh, uh, spent a summer at Quantico um, for a month. And then a month I went down to North Carolina and I was with a light armor reconnaissance battalion for two weeks and two weeks with a Huey and Cobra squadron. Get a chance to see what it's like in the FMF. And, um, and I had a great time. I mean, yeah. I had a blast. I shot a lot of guns, um, you know, humped rucks in the woods. Uh, I mean, I remember uh, we had a little mock war you know we were shooting blanks and uh i remember laying down in a in a foxhole that i dug uh pouring rain lightnings crashing down and i'm laying on top of a saw going this isn't a good idea man it's gonna <laughs> lightning's gonna strike and go through the roots and it's gonna come up in the water and get me but i had a great time <laughs> yeah um i just didn't want to do it for a career <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there's better careers yeah so, so um beginning of the senior year that's when they they tell you what you're going to get and it's based on you know, your class rank and it's based on uh, your choices. So I, I came back and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to put Navy pilot number one and the Marine Corps um, uh, infantry officer who was my company, uh, company officer said, you know, Stuart, what's wrong with you? You know, like you'd make a perfect Marine. I'm like, well, I just want to fly, sir. <laughs> yeah. So uh, fortunately I, I was selected for Navy pilot and, um, and that's what I did after I, after I graduated, I went to flight school. So at that point, uh, I'm curious, how, you, you have no idea what you're going to fly. You're just going to fly yeah. for the Navy. Yeah, I'm just going to fly. It could be helicopters. It could be cargo planes, uh, the maritime patrol craft. It could be anything. Okay. Um, you know, obviously, I wanted to fly jets because, sure, again, yeah. going back to Top Gun, that was, yeah. you know, what I wanted to do. And and uh, But everything is based on, number one, needs of the Navy yep. and uh, your, your performance. So uh, if you're number one in your class, and they uh, and they need jet guys. You can pick jets, but if they don't need any that week, it doesn't matter how good you are. You're not going to get it. It's wow. a lot of timing. Yeah. yeah, it's all timing. Yeah, military military's big one time. Yeah, it yeah. is. So, so, what did that progression look like for you? What, how did it end up jets for you? Yeah. So for me, um, 
I, after I graduated, I taught sailing at the Naval Academy for a couple months and then uh, drove down to Pensacola, Florida and started what we call aviation pre-flight uh, API, just ground school. Um, it's learning about aerodynamics and weather and everything you need to be a pilot, the basics. And then based on your grades, you can choose, you, you're ranked and you can choose to either go to primary flight training at Whiting Field, which is North Pensacola, or uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, which is where I went. So I moved to Corpus to fly the T-34C Turbo Mentor. Now they fly the uh, T-6 Texan, um, but it's a, a single-engine turboprop, light airplane, and uh, you you learn the basics of flying at that point. Now I already had my pilot's license. I already had a couple hundred hours, but you know that that only carried me about a week and a half through training, and then it quickly you know now passed you, me by. Yeah, you now know. you caught up with everyone else. Everyone yeah, the yeah, same age, exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, that that was about a six-month training program. Uh, finish that up, and uh, and that's where they they rank you, and they say, okay, uh, we've got uh, two jet spots, or we've got you know four jet spots, whatever it is, and uh, you you rank your choices, and they tell you what you what you get. And uh, fortunately, I was selected to fly jets. Uh, I was one of the top top guys in my class. Um, was selected to fly jets. Went to Kingsville, Texas, which is just down the road uh, from Corpus Christi, and uh, that was about a year long training, and that's where. You know, you, you do everything that a jet pilot's going to do. You you learn how to dogfight, air-to-air stuff. You learn formation flying. You learn instrument flying, uh, bombing, low levels. And then you land on the aircraft carrier. And that's like the biggest, you know, capstone event is uh, going sure. out to the aircraft carrier for the first time. And that's, that, that was an F-18? That was, that was a T-45. Okay. Uh, single engine jet. Um, now they're, they're I think they're going to be replacing them soon, but it's based on the British Hawk, which was just a okay. single engine uh, jet attack aircraft. At what point you tra- you transition to that? So after you um, after you get winged, so you get your wings after the T forty five program. Um, then they tell you what jet you're going to fly at the time. I could have flown the Tomcat. I could have flown the EA six B Prowler, the S three Viking, uh, which was an anti submarine. Uh, it was the primary tanker for aerial refueling. Yeah. Um, I could have flown uh, the Super Hornet, uh, which was just coming off, and then the uh, Hornet. And um, if you were going to be wanting to fly the Prowler or the Tomcat, you had to be one of the better guys with at the boat. Like your boat grades had to be really good, and I was not. So uh, I ended up getting the F-18, which is a pretty decent constellation prize <laughs> in my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, guys. Chad Robichaud here. Are you ready to experience the greatest beef you'll ever taste while supporting an incredible cause? Well, get ready to sink your teeth into the irresistible beef from Skyros Cattle Company. At Skyros Ranch, where Mighty Oaks Foundation holds our West Coast legacy programs, Wayne Hughes Jr., the founder of Skyros Cattle Company, has dedicated over a decade to perfecting the art of raising premium beef. And guess what? You can now enjoy the fruits of his labor right in the comfort of your own home with the absolute highest quality beef you can find, hands down. And trust me, I'm a carnivore and I've tasted plenty of steaks and nothing comes close to a Skyros steak. These cattle are grass-fed and free of antibiotics, hormones, and vaccines. And for the last 10 years, I've personally watched these cattle graze 25,000 acres in Central Coast, California, and the taste is unbeatable. When you choose to purchase Skyro's Beef, you're also making a difference by supporting the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Wayne is all about helping our deserving military and first responder communities through our faith-based resiliency and recovery programs. In every single penny, of your purchase goes directly towards assisting our nation's warriors. Let me reiterate this, because it's crazy. 100% of the proceeds 
of Sky Rose Cattle goes directly to Mighty Oaks Foundation to support our nation's warriors. So let's join forces and make a positive impact one delicious bite at a time and head over to SkyRoseCattleCO.com. That's SkyRoseCattleCO.com today and order yourself some tender, juicy cuts of beef. Trust me, your taste buds will thank you. And one more little insider secret. Every warrior who goes through Mighty Oaks Legacy Program at Sky Rose will assure you that this beef is extraordinary and off the charts delicious. The very first thing our warriors get when they get to Mighty Oaks programs on Sky Rose Ranch is a delicious Sky Rose steak hanging off the side of their plates with a Sky Rose brand on it. And our warriors love them and you will too. Yeah. And so then you go eventually to... Again, everybody has an infatuation with Top Gun. Yeah, so yeah. want to hear it. Yeah. yeah, so okay. everybody wants to hear it. What, I'm waiting what, for it. I'm waiting the, for the Top Gun yeah. story. <laughs> what's the real you know, Top Gun story? Like, you go there as a student first, right? You get selected to go yeah. there as a student. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I mean, that that come, that came uh, way later in my career. So, normally what happens is, you know, you, you train the F-18, which is about a year. You go to your fleet squadron, which is about three years. You go to a shore tour, and that's usually where people go to Top Gun. Okay. Normally, they would go in their shore tour. Um, and it's about eight weeks long and most students who go, um, are going to then be either on the staff at Top Gun or they're going to be at one of the weapon schools on either coast. Okay. And so they kind of, uh, treat it like a, a mountain of knowledge is Top Gun and they're mm. kind of like instructor training. Yeah, school, exactly. Right? I mean, that's what you are when you graduate from Top Gun as you're an instructor. Um, and so they teach you all the techniques on how to be, how to instruct, you know, not just in the jet but also like in the classroom how to right. how to erase on the board you know you you race up and down not side to side because then your butt shakes um and distracts <laughs> the student yeah um and they, they tell you how to make your arrows because you have to recreate every single engagement um and so there's a lot of instructing Nuance. techniques yeah. that not related to flying and i didn't quite expect that but um but for me i i did my c tour I did a, an instructor tour um, back in the T-45 for my short tour. And then I went to be an admiral's aide. And from there, I went back into the F-18 uh, in a reserve squadron. There was an adversary squadron, uh, which is how I got to Top Gun. Because uh, every adversary squadron, in the Navy, there's four of them. Mm-hmm. Um, every adversary squadron, they've got billets to be adversary students at Top Gun and then come back to the squadron and be an adversary instructor. This is the jester guy. The this jester is guy. jester. Yeah. Jester's dead. Jester, Viper. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're the guy. When you go through your class, you're the one that's um, all the guys, all the jets that are representing the bad guys. Yeah. You know, like on my shirt, I've got, you know, flanker because that's what we, that's what we were. We, we pretended we were Russian. We were pretending mm. we were Chinese, you know, whatever the threat was, we learned how to fly our aircraft like they fly their aircraft and we learned their tactics and we learned how to employ their weapons. And so when the students that were, uh, learning the uh, friendly tactics, what we call them blue tactics, they they would come against us and they would see how they how they uh, perform mm-hmm. against an, an adversary. I gotta ask. So, <clears throat> my fighter nickname is Top Gun, not yeah. because I'm a fighter pilot, but because of my f- proficiency with a with a firearm. Yeah. Um, now I claim, you know, the Top Gun, you know, uh, glory. My walkout song is the Top Gun anthem, and. And I, I I grew up with that being my favorite movie. What, what Danger Zone? Uh, no, I, the anthem, the, the actual anthem. anthem. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the actual, the actual <laughs> anthem, the actual Top Gun anthem. That's how I wake up every morning, by the way. Yeah. That's right. That's your yeah. Alarm, yeah. That's your alarm, <laughs> alarm clock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, you know, I love 
Top Gun. It might have even released like the year I was born, I think, honestly. But anyways, so how accurate is the movie? I got, just got to ask. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> there's a, there's a, you know, there's some cool stuff. I mean, you guys, uh, you know, playing shirtless volleyball. I thought the sequel was better. It was good. I yeah, liked yeah, the sequel yeah. just as much, which is not which is not normal. But you guys out there playing shirtless volleyball yeah. and getting after it, you know. Yeah, you know, no matter how many times <laughs> I asked my classmates to play volleyball with me, they said no. No, so, <laughs> um, it's it's accurate from the perspective of how crews interact with each other mm. and how the students and instructors interact with each other. Um, the flying is the focus. That's mm. accurate. Yeah, everything else is not. I mean, there's yeah. no, there's no uh, competition. There's no trophy. There's no alternate. You know, is in the ladies' room. None of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just flying, and it's great. Um, and you, you are learning the tactics, and you, and you're studying, and you're working hard, but you're also playing hard too. So it's, yeah. it's a real good time. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Everybody, every pilot, right? Fighter pilot gets a nickname. Yeah, yeah. Far, Farley. Uh, Farley. So where where's Farley come from? Well, you know, I'll just say, first of all, I knew I had to retire from the Navy when I explained my nickname to one of my sailors. And he said, who's Chris Farley? Oh, uh, no, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Unacceptable. That's what I said. I'm like, man, I guess I'm old. Time to retire. Yeah. Um, no, I, I yeah, I got it uh, after Chris Farley. And the way, it, the way it happened is when I joined my first squadron, uh, it was VF-87 in Virginia Beach. And uh, after 9-11, they were... Uh, some of the first guys to drop bombs in Afghanistan. They were on the Enterprise and were on their way home when 9-11 happened. And so they turned around and, and went back and flew combat missions. So I was the first new guy to show up after that cruise. And so you can imagine, I'm just this brand new Nugget F-18 pilot and all these combat seasoned aviators. They didn't listen to a word I said, but of course they still made me you know, stand up in front of the room and give a lecture, but they didn't listen to me. So right. Uh, one time I was standing up there, started talking and realized no one was listening to me. So I trailed off and just kind of went, no, okay. And somebody's <laughs> like, did I hear a Niner in there? Is this Tommy boy? You know, so it just sort of, <laughs> sort of transitioned to that where uh, different iterations, you know, before yeah, yeah, they settled yeah. on Farley. So 12 years active duty, 11 years reserves, right? Yeah. Uh, what, what deployments did you do? Yeah. So um, when I was with VF 87, um, which was my first squadron. We did uh, one cruise. It was the, basically during the shock and awe part of Operation Iraqi Freedom. Right. We were on the uh, Roosevelt and uh, we were in the Eastern Mediterranean. So all of our missions were flown in Northern Iraq through Turkey. So uh, about six hours long, uh, we'd, we'd fly through Turkey. And then uh, we were on call close air support for basically all the special operations that were in the North and um, OGA that, mm -hmm. you know, that could have been there as well because you know, most of the ground effort and most of the other um, support with, from naval gunfire and whatnot was in the in the south. So we were it in the north. We were all those guys relied on. So that was uh, that was my first deployment, um, and that was about six months. Uh, came home and then um, a squadron down in Beaufort, South Carolina, Marine Corps Air Station. They needed uh, a pilot to go on cruise, and um, their executive officer is now a good friend of mine called up to my squadron and asked if um, if I'd be willing to go. I was single at the time, and so I volunteered to, to go down to Beaufort and uh, join them, went right back on deployment. Um, and that was on the Enterprise uh, with VF-82. And uh, we were down in the um, the Arabian Gulf at that point, and uh, we, did, we did some operations into Afghanistan, but most of them were in Iraq. But at that point, the, uh, the war had shifted. It was after the whole mission accomplished thing. So sure. uh, we were doing primarily... Um, 
shows of force for the guys on the ground. And we were doing uh, pipeline reconnaissance to make sure that they weren't trying to destroy the infrastructure. And yeah. uh, so we went from dropping bombs every single mission to not dropping a single bomb on mm. employment, you yeah. know, in the span of a couple of months. Yeah. Wow. I, I love a show of force. Yeah. From a ground guy. <laughs> oh, there was, I mean, it was pretty, pretty fun. There was yeah. one, I remember uh, this convoy called us up and said, hey, there's a truck that's been following us for, you know, for about an hour. And every time we stop, he stops, he won't get any closer. Every time we go, he goes. Um, and we just don't know what he's doing, you know? And so can you give us a show of force? So my wingman and I said, sure, it's nighttime. And, uh, we decided we we're going to fly low level on either side of them. And then, um, our, our calm brevity term for putting in the afterburner is gate. So, uh, we would go really fast right on either side of them. And then, you know, ready gate, both of us plug our afterburners in cross right in front of this truck, uh, and then pitched up, put out a bunch of flares, and I look over my shoulder, and this truck like swerves off the road, like into a ditch. Yeah. It was probably some farmer just trying to, yeah. you know, not get shot or something. <laughs> and uh, and we we scared him off the road. But hey, you know, kept our guys safe. That's all that mattered. Yeah, right? yeah. If he was if he was a bad guy, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he knew. Yeah, yeah. He knew not to mess around. The, yeah. So it, you did you did some ground. Uh, so so every for those that don't know, pilots. Uh, get to come to a ground unit and do what's called a fact forward air controller or that there's different billets that, that pilots get to do on the ground and you get to do some ground. Yeah. That, billets too. You know, that's pretty common in the Marine Corps. Every Marine Corps pilot does that with a Marine unit. Um, it's not common at all in the Navy. Right. And, uh, what happened in my case, um, after I graduated top gun, I came back to my squadron in new Orleans, BFA 204. And, um, uh, the Navy said, Hey, you know, we're not going kinetic in Afghanistan. You know, we've got jets that'll hold overhead, talk to a JTAC on the ground for a long time and we'll never drop a bomb. And so they wanted to prove that having a, having a carrier aircraft flying over Afghanistan was a good idea. So they said the solution, uh, is going to take, is going to be to take 10, uh, TAC air guys from the Navy and stick them with ground units. Cause their, their idea was that the ground force commander just didn't know how to use Navy aircraft. Mm, right. And, um, and so we went to the joint firepower course at Nellis air force base, uh, learned, you know, all the, the joint doctrine for close air support. And, uh, and then we got in touch with the air force colonel that was going to be uh, managing us in country. And he said, what's an air planner. And we're like, I have no idea. That's what the Navy calls us. Oh, that's the title you guys. Got. Yeah. They got air planner. And he's like, well, I don't know what that is. It's not in joint doctrine. So I'm just going to use you as an ALO, which an air liaison officer is the officer that kind of oversees all the enlisted uh, joint terminal attack controllers and uh, and runs the air fight for the uh, the army. And so we're just like, for those yeah, listening, like a, a joint, that's a JTAC, which yeah. in special operations units, we have a JTAC. So we have the ability to call, you know, put, put, uh, yeah, uh, bombs on, bombs on targets. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, you know, we were, we were told by the Navy that we were just going to be, um, Telling the army that, yeah, the F-18 is a really good platform. But uh, when it came down to it, the Air Force said, yeah, we're not going to use you like that. You know, we're going to actually have you on the ground um, and calling in airstrikes. And and uh, we're like, sure. You know, we're all war fighters and that's what we want to do is support yeah. the war effort. So uh, so we said, sure, and, and went over there. And um, I'll never forget, you know, standing in the talk with the ground force commander. And, and he would say, hey, you know, what do we have available for air assets? And. Well, you know, we got a, a B1 with two hours of on station time. We've got two strike eagles with an hour. Uh, we got two F-16s with, you know, an hour and a half and uh, two F-18s with 20 minutes. And they're like, what do you want? I'm like, not the F-18s, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, I mean, that the Navy's plan did not work. I mean, they, <laughs> they scrapped the program after about a year. But, you know, if I'm going to be on the ground, I want something over my head sure, for yeah. a lot longer. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's it, it's a I mean it's an incredible asset to have like that kind of experience from the sky coming down to be on, on the ground with the the ground force efforts. Oh, it's yeah, it was amazing, and, and uh, seeing it from that perspective really changed you know uh, the way I looked at things. And um, you know, years later after I became a traditional reservist, um, I had an opportunity to uh, volunteer for another deployment. Um, and I, I picked six months in Germany because why wouldn't I? Mm, sure. And, uh, ended up spending a year in Africa, Africa with, uh, with JSOC. So, yeah. um, but I took that experience from my time in Afghanistan and kind of applied it to where, Hey, I'm going to get these guys anything they need. I mean, I was an enabler with two different task forces in, uh, yeah. in Africom. The JSOC, like tier one's but JSOC yeah. units. Yeah. yeah. Where they, we served together, served at one of the same units. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I just knew that I was going to do whatever it took to get those guys what they needed. And, and, uh, you know, got myself in, you know, some heated arguments at times, but you know, it didn't matter what, uh, what the O six is or above wanted. I wanted to get the guys that were on the ground what they needed. My pillow is celebrating their remarkable 20 year anniversary. And they want to thank each and every one of you for your support with an incredible offer. Right now you can grab a queen size, my pillow regulated priced at 69 98 for just $19.98. And for just an additional $10, you can upgrade to the king size. To claim this unbeatable deal, head over to MyPillow.com and click on the radio podcast square. Use promo code DANGEROUS to unlock Mike's amazing offer. You can also call at 1-800-941-0272. That's 1-800-941-0272 and use the same promo code DANGEROUS. MyPillow's patented fill adjusts to your exact needs, ensuring you get the best night's sleep ever. The anniversary celebration also brings deep discounts on all my pillow products, from luxury bed sheets and cozy my slippers to soothing towels and comfortable mattresses. Now, let me share a personal secret with you. I've experienced the my pillow magic myself, and I can't help but rave about it. The pillows are amazing. I use my pillow every single night, and the difference in my sleep since I've started using it is astounding. I wake up every morning, and my neck feels great. Uh, I love my pillow. So here's your chance to join the MyPillow family and enjoy the best night's sleep of your life. Don't miss out on the biggest sale in MyPillow history. Remember, that's MyPillow.com, promo code DANGEROUS, or call 1-800-941-0272. Don't wait. This incredible offer won't last forever. Sleep better and feel better thanks to MyPillow. Yeah, yeah that, that asset, man, I'm telling you, from someone that, like, from the operator like we appreciate having those assets it's incredible to have that wealth of knowledge and then when you leave it's not just there when you're it's not just when you're there it's like when you leave like we're we know more and better because of it yeah absolutely yeah. so yeah. i want to talk about like uh because i uh primarily run mighty oaks foundation that's my that's mm -hmm. my full-time job and at mighty oaks foundation we deal with we deal with all kind of things i mean we deal with just life issues and but a lot of stuff we deal with is combat trauma you know yeah. and we've had I've had infantry Marines who've been door to door, you know, in Fallujah and Ramadi. I've had, we've had, uh, you know, all guys from different special operations communities, guys who just, you know, line jobs of logistics and everything, people, all kind of different things. But one, we've had a lot of pilots too. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, uh, we've had a lot of, uh, Marine Corps, uh, yeah. Cobra pilots. We've, we've had a, a gamut of all different kind of guys. And so we've seen PTSD affect people in different ways. I mean, mm -hmm. I know the proximity of warfare, uh, is, is very, uh, affects people differently, right? There's a big difference between, yeah. you know, sticking a knife in someone's uh, guts and in, 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 uh, as opposed to pushing a, you know, yeah. a button on a joystick. And and uh, and if you're in a, 
you know, flying a drone and, and dropping a bomb somewhere right. to everything in between. Uh, not that anyone's more difficult than the other. Um, but, uh, what's your, what's your take on, on, uh, the pilot community in dealing with 20 years of, of war and, and yeah. not only PTSD, but moral injury, uh, because when you're you know flying as a pilot, the, I think moral injury is a factor because you know, I think nobody that does a job has a problem killing bad guys, yeah, doing bad yeah. things. But moral injury is a factor because, you know, I think you guys probably deal with more collateral damage mm. uh, than other. Yeah. Things. So what, what, just what's your experience from being in there in the, you know, with other, other aviators? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, my first deployment, you know, where I dropped uh, a ton of bombs, um, uh, I, I had JTACs on the ground give me a bowel damage assessment where, you know, hundreds, I was killing hundreds of people mm -hmm. on the ground. Didn't lose a wink of sleep. You know, in my mind, they were, they were the bad guy. It was, you know, if it wasn't them, it was, you know, it was going to be the guys on the ground that, yeah. you know, like I could hear on the radio that were taking fire. Um, so I had no problem with that. Um, for me, uh, being on the ground, um, you know, in Afghanistan, I, I didn't experience anything either that, you know, caused me to, uh, maybe shake my faith a little bit or to, to have, um, you know, post-traumatic stress of some type, but, it, but my last deployment, uh, I did. And it was an interesting, for me, it was an interesting, um, experience because, um, you know, I saw a lot of drone strikes and didn't have a problem, you know, watching those, uh, those guys die, uh, on high definition, you know, um, the problem I had was, was with, you know, the, the life or death decisions I was having to make to emergency airdrop, you know, uh, ammunition and, and food and water to guys that had been on the ground that were in a 10 day firefight. So just the stress know, of that, the stress right? of knowing that if I didn't do my job, mm -hmm. that our guys on the ground were going to get what they needed. And, um, or when they, when they called back and said, we can't ground Xville, we need you to fly an airplane in and, when I, I go to the, uh, the O six, the air force O six that owned the airplanes that could fly in. And he said, no, I'm not going to risk my career over that. Um, that, you know, really angered me. And so I took a lot of that stuff away from that deployment. And I remember coming home and, um, uh, you know, had a lot of issues at home, just trying to reintegrate because I remember, uh, my wife would ask like, what do you want for dinner tonight? I'm like, I don't care. You know, yeah. I don't, I've been making life or death decisions. I don't care whether we have lasagna or spaghetti, you know, matter. Yeah, what's... it doesn't matter. And yeah, so it caused a lot of issues. And I remember uh, one day she just said, you know, you're different. Like you're something about you is different. And um, I'm like, how could that be? Like, I didn't, I didn't do anything with my hands. Like I didn't stab somebody. I didn't, you know, point blank shoot somebody. I'm not one of those guys that kicking in doors in Fallujah and watching their buddies die next to them. Um, and then somebody from the Navy called and, and they were doing just the mental health check. It was mm -hmm. just kind of the obligatory check in the box. And, and they said, uh, yeah, do you, do you need to talk to somebody? I said, nope, I'm good. And um, they said, well, have, has anybody close to you said that you're different? Mm -hmm. And immediately I thought back to what my wife said. And actually, yeah, somebody has. Uh, and so I you know, ended up going and, and talking to somebody and, and, and kind of working through that. And it was a, it was a process. Um, but it's in the pilot community, it's not talked about because, uh, you, again, you're not that guy that's kicking indoors, you know, you're not the one that's holding your, you know, buddy in your arms, yeah. but there is stress, 
there's, there's a, I think there's a bravado there. And then there's also probably a sense of a real sense of fear that you, if you say something now, you're going to cut this consequences to your career yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, there's, you know, we have our clearances and stuff. We're right. obviously worried about that, but I honestly, I think it's, um, it's guilt. Like it's, it's, how can I feel that way as the same guy, you know, as somebody that like did what you did, right? Like, how can I have the same emotional response? Yeah. Well, for you and, and especially for everyone listening, look, uh, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years now at Mighty Oaks. I have my own experience and, uh, in, in 12 years at Mighty Oaks. W- what I see people struggle with is not the taking of, of the life of combatants, even the proximity, yeah. like, because just like you, you know, dropping a bomb on hundreds of people, just like a you know special operator shooting Taliban in in the face, or yeah, or uh, you know infantry guy or whatever, you know, motor T convoy lighting up a you know an ambush. Like I don't, I think you know people reconcile those things in different ways, but I think the real problems come uh, from the dealing with the stress. Mm-hmm. The, the, and it's not an act or action. I mean, yeah, traumatic events happen, but it's more than more times than not. It's the stress. It's the stress of the the high pace environment where life or death's involved. You're yeah. responsible for people. You're responsible for operational success. I think that's where most of the stress comes from. I mean, for me, that's that's where I think most of my stress. The pace we were going at, and, yeah. and uh, you know, when you're in a position as a, you know, I, I know you guys didn't call it a fact, but you're in that position to do that. You're responsible for a lot of human life and, and mission success. And right. now you're dealing with people that are making political decisions and yeah. for their careers and and uh, you know or geographical like just geo, geopolitics and operations all these things just bring on so much stress and that stress manifests itself in physiological symptoms that you have to reconcile and right. deal with and uh yeah i mean uh and it's not always about combat it's not always about what your job was and, yeah and uh it's i mean i know guys uh we have lots of guys that come to mighty oaks that aren't combat veterans and never deployed but they're dealing with the dead symptoms are the same mm-hmm. and you could put it like a pride of pride and bravado to like measure who should have it worse but the symptoms are the same the yeah. reality is they're dealing with the same things and maybe they didn't deploy but they're in preparation for combat and preparation for doing their job in the military they're dealing with those stressors and it impacts their yeah you know their lives their families and they need help and we should help yeah and i think we help. see a lot in the you know first responder community too for sure um i i had a really close friend who was a paramedic for many years um he is uh uh, going to be a published author. His book's coming out the week before mine, but uh, we were having a conversation just over barbecue in San Diego, and um, he was retelling a story and immediately just reacted to you know a memory. And um, you know, I I think hopefully the way we are in society now is we're starting to recognize that that yeah. it's not just the you know the guys that were in the foxholes you know laying on top of a machine gun um, that experienced stress, but it it could be other things too. It could be uh, it could be pilots. It could be, you know, paramedics. It could be police officers. It could be, yeah. you know, yeah, Sean's, yeah, we, Sean's a police officer. And yeah, I see this a lot in the law enforcement community, uh, which, which I love that mighty Oaks, uh, has a first responder program. So any, any police officers, first responders, uh, EMS that are listening to this, definitely check out mighty Oaks, but yeah, it's all, it's this, all, we have to always plug mighty Oaks, like, because, yeah. you know, look, it, it, and I don't want to interrupt your saying, no, yeah. it's important to say like military, uh, veteran first responder spouse like mighty go to mightyoaksprograms.org if mm-hmm. anything we're talking about right now is you need help like yeah. don't hesitate it's free we'll fly you out we have amazing programs and uh you know these issues are real and uh you can't ever disqualify yourself but you know, i didn't do I, I didn't really have it that bad if you're dealing with something mm-hmm. get help man you well, don't have to the thing figure it is, out right? is you know and, and i and i i 
echo what you say, Chad. As a first responder to the first responder community, please check out Mighty Oaks. But that's the thing is, is you know, when we a lot of us, you know, um, aren't war heroes. We don't we don't have this war hero story behind us, and so we feel like, oh well, I can't I can't struggle with this. There's people that are like out there, you know, fighting wars that are struggling with this. But you know, personally, I, I've struggled with you know things that I've had to deal with as a first responder, you know, um, that affect me deeply that I can hardly even talk about without, without shedding tears, you know? Yeah. Um, a lot of it has to do with loss of life of, of children and stuff like that. Kids dying in your arms, stuff like that. Um, some moral injury stories that we talked about the other day, Chad, but, but yes, I mean, I think it's what you guys are talking about is so important is because you don't have to be a war hero to suffer from PTS. Yeah. And I, I think that people need to hear that. And there's no shame in seeking help for something that is a real issue that is causing trauma in your life that you need help for. Yeah. If, you, if you're struggling in your life, you, you don't have to stay in the same spot and struggle. Like this Mighty Oaks, there's counselors, there's biblical counselors, there's mentors, yeah. mentorship, there's friends, there's churches in your community. There's tons of help out there. And people, you know, you know, people feel like they have to deal with these things alone and you don't have to deal with it alone. We were never created to deal with them alone and you don't have to. Yeah. There's support out there. And something you said, I mean, you talk about basically you're looking for a community, you know, right. and that's what you need to be a part of. Um, in the military, you're forced into a community, you know, right. you're forced into a squadron or a platoon or whatever. You've got guys on either side of you that rely on you and you rely on them. When you leave the military, whether that's through retirement, whether that's through, you know, your end of obligated service, you're kind of left alone. You've got your family. Uh, but beyond that, you know, maybe you, maybe you don't have a core group of people that you can relate to with some of those same stresses. And, um, I've, I've been very fortunate as I've transitioned into writing books now, um, at least in my genre, the writing community has been very yeah. welcoming and it is like a family. Um, I've got several close friends, um, that are all, you know, published authors at different phases in their career that I can pick up the phone and call and just vent about whatever. Yeah. You know, a deadline or a bad review or whatever it is. <laughs> and yeah. um, that community, I think, is vital um, because yeah. it's such a lonely uh, job. It's such a lonely profession sitting in a computer and writing a book. Yeah. And, you, you go from flying Mach 2 yeah. to, to, <laughs> yeah. fly, to flying yeah. for, you know, commercial airlines. You, yeah. you also fly for commercial airlines now. I do, yeah. And, you know, flying a, a keyboard yeah. to I'm, writing. I'm sitting a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I know. I, you know, what inspired you to go from, you know, being a fighter pilot to writing. I mean, have you always written? I, I kind of know the answers. To yeah. Question, yeah. Right? I so. mean, I've, <laughs> uh, I've uh, always loved books. I've been a consumer my entire life. I spent time in libraries and bookstores. I mean, that was where my toy stores and candy stores as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, just, I read anything I could get my hands on. And, and I, I felt that that made me a uh, more well-rounded person. And, um, but I, more than anything, I just enjoyed it. So on all deployments, I always had books that I was reading. And you're an English major. That was I ended up, yeah, I ended up being an English major. I probably should have picked a different major because, uh, you know, English, I didn't like writing papers. Yeah. You know, I, I like creative writing, but I didn't like reading what someone else wrote and trying to dissect it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I've, I've always written, written, uh, I've always wanted to write a book. I've always wanted to be a novelist. And, um, I just decided after my last deployment, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. And mainly because I saw um, the things I saw downrange, it, it really stuck with me and, and not so much the, you know, the, uh, the technical, uh, you know, the tools of the trade or, 
or the cool uh, whiz bang stuff that people you know think about when they think of special operations, but really just the heart and soul of the, the American fighting man or woman. I mean, that really inspired me. I, I wanted to to show that through my writing. So you're, um, you're a military thriller author. That's yeah. how you'd be categorized, right? That's how you categorize. Yeah, I would say military thriller. Um, I throw espionage in there as well, yeah. um, just because also during my on all my deployments and all my uh, time, you know, domestically on base, um, you know, you, you got to uh, got to see what the uh, what the hostile nations are doing to try to get our sure. secrets from us, and and I wanted to kind of expose that a little bit. Every day, more than 22 veterans take their lives. That's a devastating reality that we can no longer ignore. But what if I told you that number actually is much higher? According to a recent study, the actual number of veteran suicides could be double the federal estimates. That means 44 veterans could be lost to suicide every single day. Whether the number is 22, 44, or one, one is too many. But there's hope. Mighty Oaks Foundation provides a lifeline for veterans, first responders, and active duty communities struggling with PTSD, depression, and thoughts of suicide. Our non-clinical, faith-based, peer-to-peer programs focus on spiritual resiliency, providing our military and first responder communities to overcome their hardships of service and find a new life purpose. We know that the road to recovery isn't an easy one, but with the support of Mighty Oaks, our warriors can find the hope and healing they need to move forward. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org. That's MightyOaksPrograms.org and learn how you can support our mission to end the epidemic of suicide in our military and first responders communities. Together, we can make a difference. Well, so here, here's the big announcement. Um, so I, you know, have written in, in uh, the nonfiction side for quite some time. I get some books up here and... Uh, and uh, really enjoyed it, you know. And unfair advantage is probably my favorite book I've written. And then Saving Aziz, and and uh, I have I have a new one coming out uh, called A Mission Without Borders about my humanitarian operations in Ukraine and the work me and my son and our team has done there in Ukraine. And and uh, but I had this uh, like desire to do uh, fiction, and also I had this desire to tell tell kind of my career story through fiction because I could never be able to share it, uh, you know, in the nonfiction side my career side. And so I, I pitched it to my publishers and, uh, and then my, my agent kind of passed it around and then 10, we, we had, a uh, Thomas Nelson was interested. Uh, a couple of publishers were interested. And then I started interviewing people to work with and, and look, looking at people to work with. And that, that led me to you and, uh, and, uh, and ended up picking you to be my co-author in this, uh, venture to do fiction, a fiction series. And, uh, I tell you like, guys, I interviewed, a bunch of different people and uh, had a lot of different opportunities, uh, because, you know, I, I have the ability to, to move some books now. And, um, and man, I'm so thankful that our world's collided and God, God brought oh, us yeah. together because, uh, no offense to any other author I worked with writing. There just has never been a better match. Like it, we, we knocked out this, this first, uh, book one of a three book series. So here's the announcement. It's called silent horizons yeah. the series. And, uh, and it, it's really, I don't think anybody's ever done anything like this before. So it's, it's military fiction, uh, it's a mil- you know, military fiction thriller, espionage tied in. It's about the AFO world, which is the career art path I come from. And I don't think anybody's ever done anything like it before. Yeah. So and, unique. Uh, yeah. It's super unique. Uh, it's not cringe. Yeah. It's not over the top <laughs> fiction. It, it's just, uh, 
and and uh i'm super proud of it and uh, yeah. and and it was just so easy to work together everything i pitched to you you were just able to to put into words and in the in the accuracy that uh, i think it has i've had some delta force operators read it i mean other we've had pilots yeah. cia guys yep. uh we had people in the geographical area that are experts in the geographical area read it they yeah. seals like all, all these guys have read it as a proof and everyone's like man this is so authentic and accurate yeah. Uh, and so, so you guys know it's going to come out 2025, 2026 and 2027, three book series by Tyndale publishing. And, uh, it'll be, you know, by myself and Jack and, uh, I'm, I'm pumped about it. Man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and I don't want to say anything bad about the book that I've got coming out right now, but everybody who's read, uh, unknown writer, which is the one coming out on the November 21st. And then everyone that's read our book, um, they like our book better. <laughs> so, um, I don't take away from your book. Yeah, your, no, your, book's, it, your book's available now. Uh, <laughs> Silent Rise isn't ready yet. Yeah. Available yet. Yeah. But yeah. it's, it, I mean, it's been fantastic working with you, Chad. And, um, you know, just professionally, obviously working on the book together, but uh, just getting to know you as a human being um, has been, you know, a, a real good uh, inspiration in my life. And um, we're well, super like minded. Yeah. And sure. I just want, I wanted to share this story because this to me was, uh, is what, you know, when you talk about like God kind of bringing us together, yeah. Um, you know, in my civilian job as an airline pilot, I was on an overnight uh, in uh, I think it was in Burbank. Uh, my co-pilot was a Navy pilot, and uh, one of my flight attendants was uh, was married to a Navy pilot. So we were sitting at the bar, kind of sharing stories. And uh, at the end of the bar, um, there was a young man that uh, kind of overheard us talking and said, "Hey, what do you guys do?" Oh, we're you know we're airline you know airline crew and. And he goes, oh, okay, I heard you talking about the military. And I was a, you know, combat infantry um, guy in the Marine Corps. And, and, um, and so we kind of just started opening up this dialogue. And um, about 20 minutes, you know, I heard him start to say things like, I don't want to be a statistic. And you could tell he was struggling. Hmm. And uh, just because I've been working with you, Chad, and, and knew what Mighty Oaks was doing, I said, hey, have you heard about Mighty Oaks? And he's like, no, no, I haven't. But he'd heard about you. And, uh, cause I, I mentioned, Hey, I, I've been writing this book with, uh, Chad Robichaux and, um, he has this, you know, foundation called mighty Oaks and this is what they do. And, and I said, uh, I don't know what they can do, but I, I'd be happy to put you in touch with them. And so he, he gave me his number and I passed it on to you. And the guy texted me like two weeks later and said, you know, I'm, I'm in a program with mighty Oaks and, and I'm so thankful I ran into you. And, you know, it's just one of those moments where I was like, I, I felt like I did something, you know, whether I saved his life or not, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, but just that we were able to, you know, bring all our worlds together and yeah. to be in that moment at that one time, it was really cool. Yeah. Writing books is, is, is fun and telling stories is fun, but man, if you could tie a cause behind it. Oh man, and, absolutely. Uh, you know, every book I do, everything I do now is like, how could I put Mighty Oaks in the center of this? Yeah. Because it's a, it's a, it's a resource of hope for people that are struggling. And, uh, yeah, I love, I love getting those calls and opportunities and, yeah. and, and I meet people and they're like, Hey, I ran into this guy and next thing you know, save his life. Yeah. Maybe literally, uh, if not change his life, yeah. like give him hope again, restore his family, change his eternity. Absolutely. You know, uh, and, uh, you know, so it's, it's awesome when those opportunities come. Um, yeah, well, I, I'm excited for that book, but. We were kind of ahead of ourselves because that one, you can't get that book yet. You can keep an eye out. Silent Horizons is coming out 2025, 26 of book two. We already started on yep. book two. Yep. And uh, we got book three lined out, uh, 2027. And I know 
this is not just going to be a book. It's going to be, you can be watching on the screen somewhere. Yeah, I, I feel that way it, for it, sure. It, it definitely reads it, that way. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, uh, we, ha- we already have been approached about it. So, you know, it's going to be picking, picking the right partner to do that. But again, that's not re- available yet, but this one is unknown writer. You can get it. Uh, you, you can pre-order it anywhere right now, right? Yeah, so, any, yeah. Right now, you can pre-order it. Uh, it'll be available November twenty-first. Pretty much anywhere books are sold. Um, the uh, the audiobook narrator is Ray Porter. I know a lot of people, yeah. uh, you know, have read or listened to Jack Carr's books. Um, Ray Porter is a narrator. I was so fortunate to get uh, him to narrate my audiobooks. Um, and I, I just reviewed the audio files recently, and man, it sounds good. <laughs> Makes yeah. me sound a lot better than you know, <laughs> than I really am. Yeah, I will. I, I did my audiobook for. Uh, Saving his ease. For saving his ease, and I'm doing it for the Ukraine book, but I will not be doing it for Solid Horizons yeah. <laughs> for the fiction. Uh, it, it's a certain uh, craft to be able to do fiction uh, audio audio reads, and, and, and Porter's like, oh man, he's, he's the best. I mean, he does Jack's books, and yeah, he he Jack, does a bunch of others. And Jack Carr and Jack Stewart. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yep. Get get your copy today. We have a so we have a couple of things that we do uh, that we just started doing. So one is uh, we have a gift. Uh, oh man! And uh, we, we acting like he's surprised, but uh, <laughs> but we were we were actually showing this, and he came over. He's like, "What are you guys doing?" And uh, we're like, "We're we're looking at your surprise." So uh, we this is by the way, this goes all the way back to Sean Patrick Flannery, our first guest. Yeah, uh, is getting getting one, but it's the first time we actually have him be able to give away on the episode. And uh, and this these are knives that are made by a guy named Evan. I won't say his last name, but Evan's a uh, was a force recon Marine and is an instructor currently at Marine recon school. And, uh, and he's got a amazing skill at making customs knives and he's made, so he's making these knives custom. They're high, high, high end. And, uh, and it comes in a leather case that and has a serialized for this episode. And, uh, and anybody can get one his, his company's called Apollo knives. Uh, so you go to Apollo knivesusa.com and get one from Evan. Uh, but this one is amazing. So it's, it's a, it says, has stay dangerous. I don't know if you guys could see it or not, but stay dangerous is like stamped into it. Their logo that's on the back. It's uh, it's got some blood spatter on it. It actually has real blood spatter <laughs> because earlier we were talking about how sharp it is. And Will Taylor, uh, our, our chief operating officer at Mighty Oaks came over and he's like, hey man, this thing's super sharp. You got to put this thing on the end so you don't. And as he put it on the end, he filleted his finger open. I think Wide he's over open. getting, yeah, I think he's over. He's talking about trauma. Like we got yeah. to send him to Mighty Oaks <laughs> yeah. again for the trauma that, or trauma of me seeing it. Like, there's blood on there. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he filleted his finger oh, open. So man, I think he's probably yeah. going to get stitches right now. He should be. Uh, this thing is so razor sharp and it's just a good, you know, we're like, what could be a good gift? Uh, and it's something you could use every day, like put in your kitchen, cut steaks with, uh, don't cut your fingers with, yeah. but every one of these has the episode. So your episode of stay dangerous could be episode zero twenty. 20. That's uh, awesome. And it'll be, that's, that's yours. One of a kind. And, uh, so thanks Evan at, at Apollo knives for making this possible. And, uh, I'm going to give this to you in the case. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, don't want to touch you that thing cut, right now. Cut yourself. Right. <laughs> Man, that is so awesome. So, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Super pumped. You get the first one in person. Uh, and then one more thing we do when Stay Dangerous in, in the in the theme of Staying Dangerous, we have, the, we have the Stay Dangerous Challenge. Oh, boy. Yeah, the Stay Dangerous Challenge. And you probably didn't see this because it's new, too. Yeah, no. This but, is uh, okay, here we go. This foreign is, to me. Okay. Is, stay you, I don't think there's an episode released yet that, no. that has this, so. Oh boy. This so this is, is a, it's just called shock roulette. <laughs> okay. So there's a car battery inside here. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, 
So we're gonna we're gonna play this. So the way it works is uh, it's like Russian roulette, but shock roulette, and uh, okay. somebody's getting shocked. Yeah. And so we're gonna put it on. See who's tougher: an F-18 yeah. pilot, a force recon marine. So you just stick, your, or stick or your finger a SWAT in. Or a SWAT so yeah, guy. wherever the the red dot is. So you get this red dot. We get this one. Okay. And we get this one. So we got the intensity. It, it's gonna play music and it gets intense. And we're right. about who's gonna get shocked. Here it comes. So what is it? If you jump, you're you're. Uh... Uh, I'm like jumping from the from the. <laughs> who got it? Yeah, that was me. That was you. Yeah. Yeah. Jump. <laughs> is that jump. it? You're that was it. You're yeah. tough guy. Does it get harder? We got to amp up the voltage. <laughs> yeah. We got to amp up the voltage. <laughs> we we, we literally got to hook it up to a car battery. Yeah, we got to get a shock. Yeah, that we tickled had, a little bit. We had Matt Matt height this, this uh, seal. It must be a navy seal. thing. He didn't touch. It. He didn't move. But he then did. we had uh, uh, what's his name from the charge. Um, Oh yeah, he jumped. He we, jumped. Yeah, and then uh, and then, Aziz, and then Bobby, Bobby Aziz jumped. Aziz jumped. Yeah, Aziz jumped too. Yeah. So our two Navy guys didn't jump. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we're just used yeah. to being shocked. I guess. Tough guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that's it is. All that, I mean, I can jump if you want me to. We can do it again. All, that's all yeah. that that S and M on the ships that you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the Navy, you know. <laughs> well, uh, man, it was awesome to have you on, Jack. It was great so. being here. Uh, Thanks so much. Yep, absolutely. Look forward to continue to work together. And congratulations in the book. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and uh, you know, everybody, go out and support Jack uh, and get a get a copy. So, Thanks, Jack Stewart. Stay dangerous. See you guys next time.